Good evening. Good evening. If you would, open your Bibles to the book of Revelation, chapter 11. Now last week we looked at the sixth trumpet judgment. And if you look at chapter 10 and 11, basically this shows some things that happens between the sixth and seventh trumpet. We see two things taking place. The first is an angel that is holding a little scroll, and John is told to go and take the scroll from the angel and then to eat it. And he's told that it will be sweet in his mouth, but it will make his stomach bitter. And if you think about that, what that means is if you look at the truth of God's word, if you look at the truth of God's judgments, the judgments are sweet to us. The word is sweet to us. But at the same time, when we sit there and meditate upon the word, when we meditate upon the judgments of God and what that means, it can be a little bitter for us. Because when we look at God's judgment, it should bring a heaviness to us. Because we know people that are lost. We know people that are going to face God's judgment. And it should bring this heaviness to our heart. And that's what pretty much John was being told. He was to take this little book and he was to eat it. And it would be sweet in his mouth, but then it was going to make his stomach bitter. And John said that when he ate it, it was. He said it was sweet as honey, but then it made my belly bitter. And then he is told that he would still have to go out and prophesy again um, before many people. Then John is, in chapter 11, he is given a rod. And he is told to measure the temple. And the temple that he is told to measure is the rebuilt temple in Jerusalem. And we see this because of what's said. And basically, he said that as he is measuring this, he's told us he's measuring the temple, that he was to measure everything except for the court of the temple because he is told that that belongs to the Gentiles and that the city of Jerusalem and the court of the temple would be trodden underfoot of the Gentiles for three and a half years. And basically this is meaning the last three and a half years of the tribulation. Because later on what we're going to see is that at the midpoint of the tribulation, Antichrist will go into the rebuilt temple and declare himself to be God. And then once the Jews see this happen, as Christ tells them, they are to flee. Israel, and that takes place during the midpoint of the tribulation, so the last half of the tribulation, Jerusalem is trodden underfoot of the Gentiles. And 
This gets us to what we're going to talk about tonight, the last thing that John sees. And this is the second woe. Remember, we looked at the first woe last time, and and we looked at part of the second woe, which was the which was the fifth and sixth trumpet. So this is the last part of that woe that that John is told about. So look at chapter 11, verses 3 through 14. It's written, And I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and threescore days clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. And if any man will hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth and devoureth their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. These have power to shut heaven, that it rain not in the days of their prophecy, and have power over waters to turn them to blood and to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. And when they shall have finished their testimony, the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them, and shall overcome them and kill them. And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. And they of the people and kindreds and tongues and nations shall see their dead bodies three days and a half and shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put in graves. And they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them and make merry and shall send gifts one to another because these two prophets tormented them that dwelt on the earth. And after three days and a half, the spirit of life from God entered into them and they stood upon their feet and great fear fell upon them which saw them. And they heard a great voice from heaven saying unto them, Come up hither. And they ascended up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies beheld them. And the same hour was there a great earthquake, and a tenth part of the city fell. And then the earthquake was slain of men, seven thousand, and the remnant were frightened and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe is past, and behold, the third woe cometh quickly. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our most gracious and loving Father, Lord, as we come before you, just ask your blessings upon the reading of your word. Just be with us tonight, Lord, as we worship and study your word and just give us an insight into your word and help us, Lord, just to learn from it. And Lord, I just pray that you would be with us tonight, just overshadow us with your love and watch care. And again, Lord, I just pray that you would be with those that are sick and shut in, those that could not come tonight, those that may be traveling, Lord, we just lift them up to you and just ask your blessings upon them. And again, Lord, I just praise you and thank you for all the blessings that you've given us. And Lord, I just pray that you would bind down Satan when we have no part of this service. We just ask this in your Son's precious and holy name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, John sees two individuals in Jerusalem that remind me of Moses and Elijah. Just from the description that we have. Now, we're not told who these men are. And they could be Moses and Elijah that God sends back to earth. 
and they could be Enoch and Elijah. Because if you look back in the Old Testament, Enoch and Elijah were the only two in the Old Testament that didn't die. They were brought to heaven and never faced death. Yet what we see in pretty much in verses 4 through 6, the power that they have, the plagues that they unleash, is similar to what Moses and Elijah were able to do through the power of God. The fire proceeding from their mouths. If you think about it and you go back to when Elijah faced the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel or the priests of Baal on Mount Carmel and the troops come to get Elijah, what happens? Fire comes out of heaven and devours those people until the Lord tells Elijah, oh, go with this person, he's not going to hurt you. And then if you look at where it says they also have power to turn water to blood and to smite the earth with all plagues and to stop the rain, well, Elijah stopped the rain through the power of God. It didn't rain upon the earth for seven years or in, or in Israel for seven years. And then with Moses, he was able to, through the power of God, turn the Nile River and the waters of Egypt to blood. So the plagues that these two unleash are similar to what Moses and Elijah unleashed. But we're not told who these men are. I personally believe it's Moses and Elijah that God sends back to earth. But what we are told is that these two witnesses of God are given power to prophesy for three and a half years, and this takes place during the first half of the tribulation. Remember, we have made it to the midpoint of the tribulation in the book of Revelation. So these men are able to prophesy for three and a half years, and nothing can touch them. God is protecting them for this three and a half years. And look at what it says about them. In verse 3, it says that they are clothed in sackcloth. Clothed in sackcloth. Why would they be clothed in sackcloth? What does that mean? If you look back in the Old Testament, sackcloth was a sign of mourning. If someone was mourning, they would put on sackcloth, which is basically just a rough burlap. And typically what they would also do is, is if you look at Job, they would also sit in ashes. Or they would put ashes on top of their head as a sign of mourning. But sackcloth was a sign of mourning. And if you think about what these men are mourning as they are prophesying for God, they're mourning the evil that is taking place in the, in the world during this time. Remember, Christ tells us that when all of this takes place, it's going to be like the times of Noah. And what was the times of Noah? The times of Noah was a time of evil. It was a time of wickedness. So these men are, they are prophesying for three and a half years 
and they're wearing sackcloth because of the evil that is taking place in the world during this time. So this is a sign of mourning. But then, look at what it says in verse 4. It says that these are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of earth, of the earth. If you go back, if you turn back to Zechariah chapter 4, verses 12 and 14, what we see is that, you know, Zechariah calls two people that were in Jerusalem at that time the two olive trees, the two candlesticks. And generally what that was a sign of was a sign of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So basically what the angel is telling John is that these two men are, they're the two olive trees or the two candlesticks standing before God. Basically they are full of the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is just pouring out from them. And then he goes on to explain how this power of the Holy Spirit is going to be pronounced. And that's when he gets to the plagues. The first thing he says is if anybody comes against them, if anybody tries to hurt them during their time of prophecy, fire is going to literally proceed out of their mouth and burn their enemies to death. And this is the power of God coming from them, being poured out from them. Now, why would God do this? Why would God protect them in this way? If you think about it, who's in control of the earth during this time? Yes, God is in control of everything, but who's actually in control of the earth? Who's God letting be in control of the earth? The Antichrist. God is allowing Antichrist to be in control of the earth. God is protecting these men supernaturally, these two men supernaturally, because the Antichrist would try to kill them. So what God is doing is he has given them power to pretty much destroy anybody that comes against them so that they can get their message out. They're prophesying in Jerusalem. They're telling the message of God to the world during the first three and a half years of the tribulation. So to keep them from being harmed... God gives them power to defend themselves. And they defend themselves through fire. Basically, fire comes from their mouths to destroy their enemies. And if you look at what it also says, it says, if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. So if anybody even tries to harm them, they're going to be killed in this manner. And then it also says that they have power to shut heaven that it rained not in the days of their prophecy. So for this three and a half years, they can shut up heaven where it doesn't rain. They have that power. And 
Then it says that they also have power over the water to turn the water to blood. So that if people try to to harm them during this time of their prophecy or if they feel that they need to unleash the power of God as a form of judgment, they have that power during this time. And then they can also smite, and if you look at what it says, smite the earth with all plagues. Now, if you remember in the Old Testament, was the plagues that Moses was allowed to unleash, were they limited in scope or did they cover the whole earth? They were limited in scope. The plagues were directed at Egypt. Elijah, when Elijah was prophesying, the power that he unleashed from God was that over the entire earth or limited in scope, was limited in scope. It was focused at Israel, particularly the northern tribe of Israel. Only the northern tribe of Israel suffered the drought during the time of Elijah. Why? Because Elijah was prophesying against the sin of Israel, northern Israel. Moses was directing that power against Egypt because God wanted the Egyptians to let his people go. Here, though, these two prophets are prophesying against the whole world, the whole earth. So their plagues can smite the earth, the entire planet. So from Jerusalem, these two men have power to send plagues over the entire planet as a form of judgment from God. So not only do we see, you know, earlier, not only do we see the, the seal judgments and then the trumpet judgments coming from God, these men also have power to send judgment upon the earth from God. that can affect the entire earth. So basically they have power like the Old Testament prophets and that power is directed at the planet. All the people on earth could be affected by what these men do. So what happens? They are allowed to prophesy for three and a half years. Now, if you think about the reason why they're allowed to prophesy for three and a half years, basically it is their time of prophecy takes place during the first half of the tribulation. The last half of the tribulation is the great tribulation, which is where all the plagues get worse. where Satan himself being cast to the earth is on the earth possessing the Antichrist. So these two men are given the first three and a half years. And what happens, if you look at verse 7, it says, And when they shall have finished their testimony, 
the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit. This is the Antichrist. This is the Antichrist. He's not indwelt by Satan yet. This is the beast out of the pit. The Antichrist. It says, shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. So he cannot kill these two men until God allows him to kill them. So at the midpoint of the tribulation, God, after the three and a half years where these men have prophesied, God removes his protection from them. And Antichrist kills them. And what happens? Now I want you to think about something. John wrote these words 2,000 years ago. And I want you to focus on what he says. And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. And they of the people and kindreds and tongues and nations shall see their dead bodies three days and a half and shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put in graves. And they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them and make merry and shall send gifts one to another because these two prophets tormented them that dwell on the earth. The entire planet sees them killed by the Antichrist. 2,000 years ago, that wasn't even possible. But here John is saying 2,000 years ago that when these two men are killed, everybody on this planet will see it and rejoice over it. Basically, it wasn't, this was not possible that the entire planet could see it until the Invention of satellite TV back in the 1980s. Now, I mean, think about it. Now, anybody on the entire planet can see this Facebook sermon. So their bodies are going to lie in the street of Jerusalem and all the people around the earth are going to see these men get killed by the Antichrist and their bodies laying in the street and they're going to rejoice over it. Because the men that had tormented them, that had sent plagues, that had preached against their evil, are dead. And they're going to send gifts and celebrate the death. Not even letting these two guys be buried. Think about that. Just letting their bodies lay there for three and a half days. Why? Because of the plagues, because of the plagues and the torment that these two prophets brought against the evil people on this planet. Yet what happens? They don't stay dead. After three and a half days, God sends the spirit of life upon them. 
Basically, God breathes life back into them and sends their spirit back into the bodies. And they're on national TV so that all the world can see it. These two men stand on their two feet after being dead for three and a half days. Because all the people on the planet saw them die and they rejoiced. Here we see that all the people on the planet are going to see these guys resurrected by God. All the world are going to see this miracle from God. And if you think about it, at this moment... After witnessing all the things that they have witnessed thus far, after all the plagues that have been unleashed upon the earth thus far, and all the people dying thus far, what we see is, is when God resurrects these two men, and you look at what it says, it says that great fear fell upon them Basically, the fear of the Lord came upon them. They were terrified of God because of what God had just done. And then it says they hear God's voice from heaven saying, come up hither. And then the two men ascend back up into heaven in front of everyone. And then at that moment, God sends judgment upon Jerusalem. Up until this point, Jerusalem had been untouched. Now he sends judgment upon Jerusalem. He sends an earthquake that hits the city of Jerusalem and only the city of Jerusalem. We see this because it says this great earthquake destroyed a tenth part of the city. It only affects the city of Jerusalem. It's very limited in scope. And it says 7,000 people die in this earthquake. That was very limited. Now, why would God send this judgment against Jerusalem? Because think about what had happened in the past. Jerusalem was where a majority of the prophets in the Old Testament were killed. And here, they had just allowed two of God's prophets to be killed again. God finally sends judgment upon Jerusalem for that and destroys a tenth part of the city. And 7,000 people are slain in this. And then look at what it says. And the remnant were affrightened. They were terrified. And something that we've not seen thus far in the book of Revelation, it says, and they gave glory to God. They gave glory to God. 
they praised God for what they had seen. But this is just momentary. Because later on, during the upcoming vile judgments, they start cursing God again. But here momentarily, they give glory to God for what they've seen. But soon they would start cursing him again. But then look at what we see in verse 14. It says, the second woe is past. This is the end of the second woe. The death and resurrection and earthquake. The death and resurrection of the two prophets and the earthquake that takes place ends the second woe. Basically, this ends the sixth trumpet. This is the end of the sixth trumpet judgment. And then look at what it says. Behold, the third woe cometh quickly. Now what the third what we see happen during the third woe there's a lot of things that take place. First, the third woe, the seventh trumpet sounds. And that ushers in the next judgments. But there's a lot of things that take place during this time. Pretty much what we see is another war takes place in heaven during this. Satan tries one last time to take control of heaven and he's cast to the earth, which brings another woe, basically the the third woe upon the earth where Satan is cast to the earth and confined to the earth. Antichrist is killed and then resurrected by Satan where Satan just indwells the body and then we see the mark of the beast and all of these things take place and then the vile judgments or the bold judgments starts happening after that which brings us into the last part of the tribulation but pretty much this ends the the second woe and the third woe is about to start taking place. And that third woe ushers in the great tribulation and vile judgments. Let's stand for prayer. Our most gracious and loving Father, Lord, as we come before you, just thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you, Lord, that we can just learn from it. And I pray, Lord, that you would be with us as we go into this time, that you would just overshadow us through your love and watch care. We just ask this in your son's precious and holy name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. If you would, take the hymn and turn to 3.